Good morning, Orchard Hills. How are you doing? Well, first, before we start, I just want to start off by saying thank you for um, being a part of what God's doing around the world in the difficult-to-reach places of the world. Every time you give uh, to the church here, a percentage of that money goes out, as you know, to Africa, but also goes out to Japan and other places. And so we're so thankful um, for your generous support and remembering uh, the U.S. has been through a hard uh, couple years, but so is the rest of the world. And, but God's faithful. The gospel continues to advance through God's people uh, giving and praying and going. And so I just want to say thank you. We appreciate you so much. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, my, my name is Mark. I'm Kathy's older brother, as you, may, you, you just heard from Pastor Scott. And we've been in Japan for about uh, this next month will be 20 years. And so mostly 17 years in Tokyo. And so you're watching the Olympics now, and everyone's asking me, why aren't you back in, in Tokyo watching the Olympics? You know, well, if I was back in Tokyo, I'd still be watching it on a screen like the rest of you anyway. So might as well be back here with my family and enjoy uh, being here with all of you. Uh, the first 15 years, we focused primarily on evangelism and discipleship. And so on the college campus, really going deep among the lost, really focusing on people who have no Christian background. And that takes a long time. It takes the average Japanese who comes to Christ about seven years to make that decision. Seven years of reading the scriptures with people, and a few of them will make a decision to follow Christ. And then that's just the beginning of the journey of following them up, helping them come to maturity in Christ, helping them to become laborers and disciple makers who can reach others with the gospel. The past five years, my role has slowly changed primarily from evangelism and discipleship to focusing on leader development. And as you know, when leaders get better, everyone gets better. And so I have the great privilege of working with raising up Japanese leaders uh, for the church, for different disciple-making movements within our organization. And God's done some amazing things. In the past two years, I've had a chance to work with leaders from 75 mission organizations in Japan. And I do a lot of teaching and seminars. And then that's blossomed into this past year, we started a program uh, with staff, uh, Navigator staff, in 20 different Asian countries. And so we're working with about 80, um, 80 leaders in these, uh, in these 20 countries in the Asia-Pacific region. It's amazing to see what God's doing. I did not expect this when I went to Japan, that I would have this opportunity to bless so many leaders. So thank you for supporting us. One thing I've learned um, when it comes to preaching is I'm not much of a preacher, so I'll leave that to Pastor Scott. I do a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars. I do various things like that, so please lower your expectations. You guys have high quality of teaching here. So lower your, just view that you're in one of my seminars or workshops for this morning. Let's pray together before we go any farther. Lord Jesus, um, as you know, I'm not much of a preacher. So Lord, I ask you to come and teach us. Would, Lord Jesus, would you preach your word today? Holy Spirit, um, as was just prayed a few minutes ago, would you really work through this passage of scripture and enlighten our eyes Enlighten our minds, our hearts. Set us free uh, from the things that bind us. May uh, my attitude and our atti- everyone's attitude here uh, be an act of worship to you as we lay low and exalt, exalt you, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, there's a difficult person 
in Tokyo that I have to lead, someone um, who affects a lot of our work. And this person's character, their thinking, the way they think about life, their identity problems, their self-esteem, their relationship skill or lack of that deeply affects my work. It limits my work. And I'm always frustrated with how to help this person do better. But year in and year out, it, we're just, it doesn't seem like we're making progress. And I'm about to tear my hair out with this. Do you have anyone in your life like that? Well, you may have guessed the person that I'm thinking about, the difficult person we're talking about today, isn't someone else. It's, it's myself. And as I, work, as I develop leaders, what we find the most difficult person for, you, for them to lead is always themselves. You are the most difficult person that you will ever have to lead. And in fact, you're, you're the common denominator in any situation you are, whether you're a, a parent leading a child or a teacher or someone in the workplace or in your ministry here at the church. The one common denominator is wherever you go, whatever situation in, you're a part of that mix. <laughs> and your issues and your problems and the challenge of leading yourself, handling yourself well, is the most difficult problem. Let's look at a verse of Scripture, Proverbs 16, 32. And this says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That means he who rules his city, his spirit is better than he who takes a city. This is a very typical Hebrew poem, two lines. The two lines are echoing each other in meaning. So if you can kind of look at it like that, to be slow in anger is to rule your spirit. We esteem, Americans especially, we esteem powerful leaders. In Asia, we value kind of distinguished leaders, kind of quiet and polite. Americans love like powerful leaders. This is a great verse for us. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit is better than someone that can even take over a city. How are you doing at being slow to anger? How are you doing in truly ruling your spirit? This is really hard. Why? Well, there's, I don't know if you've heard this term before, but sometimes we get emotionally hijacked. Have you heard that term before? We get emotionally hijacked. For example, I was, um, was teaching a seminar in western Tokyo, and I got this, I just, I was exhausted. I got this email. Have you gotten those emails and it's just the person is completely out of line. <laughs> they had these crazy things that they say, and I felt very attacked. I felt very triggered. Uh, here's some of the emotions that I wrote, wrote down looking back on that. I felt isolated, abandoned, fragile, powerless, ashamed, and empty. I felt angry. I felt betrayed. I felt resentful, hostile, indignant, and bitter. This was a really bad email. <laughs> Another term that people use is triggered. And this is coming out of this, this counseling scene, the psychological scene, that certain people will do, say things or do things that will trigger, trigger you. And when I received this email, it was a deeply triggering experience. And this is a definition of that term. In mental health terms, a trigger refers to something that affects your emotional state. 
often significantly by causing extreme overwhelm or distress. A trigger affects your ability to remain present in the moment. It may bring up specific thought patterns or influence your behavior. And I think that's really true. We can get triggered. We can become emotionally hijacked. By who? Oh, by ourselves, by our own emotions. But I want to push back. Sometimes I hear people say, you made me so mad. Have you heard people say that? Or sometimes my kids, in a good way, they say, oh, this makes me so happy. And I always kind of, I just kind of cringe when I hear that. And, you know, it's, I, I just think it's too passive to say, you, someone said this, someone wrote this, and here's the response. This made me angry, or this made me happy. You are more, your moods, your emotions, your response is more than just a passive reaction to others' actions on you. But it's hard, isn't it? I sat down at my computer, and I was, I was ticked. And I began to compose this amazing response. It was full of zingers, justification. I knew I had this person's number. It was going to be a sweet thing. I could not wait to see how they were going to respond to this email. And it was hot. I mean, this thing was hot. It was biblical. It was everything you would want in a zinger, right? It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. And then I remember this little quote in the back of my head. It goes like this. Speak while, you're, while you are angry, and you will give the best speech that you ever regret. Isn't that powerful? Speak while you're angry, and you will give the best speech you ever regret. And I have done that so many times. In my family, in my career as a navigator, as a missionary, there's so many times I think, why did I respond while I was in that mood? And that just went through my mind, and I said, shut my computer, just close it down. An hour later, open it up again. Nope, <laughs> it's, still not, it's still there. But I need to respond, so I just wrote back and said, uh, wow, I didn't expect to get this email from you. LOL, emoji, okay? Let's remain re- emotional. Would it be okay if I think about this and get back to you tomorrow? Okay? So one thing, one principle before we dive into the scripture here is, don't respond when you are feeling triggered or hijacked. So one thing I've learned if I'm in a meeting, I'm getting triggered, I just, one thing I say is, this is not productive for me right now. That's a, that's a way to say, I can't handle this, or I can't handle you. This is not productive for me right now. Can we take a 10-minute break? And what do we do during that break? What do we do? Well, one, of our, one of the leaders in our organization, he, he's with the Lord now, but he would get so upset, he would go into his office, and he would get out his Bible, and his secretary or someone else would come in the office, and he would say, would you get out of here? I'm trying to read my Bible so I won't be like this. <laughs> and that's the space we live in, isn't it? Something's happened, and we're upset, but we ha- and we're seeking to get our hearts right with God and with others, but you can't do it instantly. How do you handle a difficult person, especially yourself? What's that process look like? This, I know you, the church is focused on true discipleship. This is an aspect of true discipleship. Bringing your heart, your mind, your actions 
under the lordship of Christ. It's difficult. But let's look at, let's look at some principles, and we're going to turn to the scriptures in a minute. Before we do, I want to describe to you a space. Viktor Frankl, he was a survival, survivor of the Holocaust. He wrote this. There is a space between the hurt and our response. A place of choice, a place of freedom. In that space is our power to choose our response. And our response determines our growth. There's a, there's a place between the hurt and our response. And we're going to be talking about that space today. Booker T. Washington, um, not too far, he's from over near Smith Mountain Lake, long before it ever existed. He was um, an enslaved man. And he wrote a, a fantastic book called Up From Slavery. And he said, he said this, I will not... I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. Isn't that powerful? I will not allow anyone to degrade, narrow and degrade my soul by, causing, by making me hate him. No one can make you hate anyone. That is a choice of your heart. You cannot control their actions, but we can control our responses. He was a man who led himself well he ruled his spirit. In that, he was greater than those who take a city. Let's turn together to Psalm chapter 42, and we're going to read the entire psalm, and I'm going to point out a few thoughts on this space that we're talking about in verses 1 to 7. But let's read it all together. Or I'll read. You read silently. Please don't follow along. That makes me nervous, okay? So, okay. I'm not a preacher. Just remember that, Okay. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. This is a psalm that is considered one of the laments. The laments are uh, where the writers of the psalm, this is a, uh, not by David, it's by a different psalmist, but they're lamenting the pain and loss in their life. This is a genre of biblical um, literature. Let's just go back to verse, to verse 1. I just want to highlight a few points. 
Everyone, maybe some of you grew up hearing that song, As the Deer Pants for the Water. You, you, you remember that song? I went to camp and heard that song, and I thought it was like a really nice image. This you know, like deer, and it looks so happy, and it wants to be with God. And, I, and then at le- recently I've been reading this. It's a very traumatic verse, actually. This is not a pleasant experience for this deer. The deer is, is dying of thirst and need and want. This deer is like someone that's deeply triggered and emotionally hijacked. We'll see that from the author in a few minutes. Something's happened. Someone is saying something to him, and they've lost their perspective. They're completely out of sync with God. My soul searched for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He knows where he is now is not a good place for him spiritually. Like the guy who says, get out of here. I'm trying to meet with God so I won't be like this. He knows I need to make a connection with God because I can't respond in my flesh in the way that God needs me to, in the way that I need to. And look at his diet. My tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been so distraught and sad that you completely lose your appetite? You have no interest in food. He can't, I'm sure he can't sleep. He can't eat. His mind is filled with despair. He's downhearted. Let's look at the next, let's look at the next verse. Verse 4. He looks back at the good times in his life when he, when he was walking with God. And he used, this idea, he used to go out with joy and praise with the throng. He remembers these great times in his life, but now that's gone. He's lost that. It's an incredible time of desolation for him. And then verse 5. Verse 5 is a bizarre verse. Well, let's just start first with the, fir- the first part. Um, well, verse 4, before we get to 5. I pour out my soul. Do you pour out your soul to God? What does that mean to pour out your soul? Someone put it this way. It's becoming emotionally naked with God. Taking off every veneer that hides who you really are. Really coming before God and just letting him know everything. Becoming completely honest. Keeping it real with God. Pouring out your heart. And so he's praying. It's a psalm. It's a sacred song, right? That's what psalm means. It's about prayers, right? Look at verse 5. He's not talking to God anymore. He's not talking to the reader anymore. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. <laughs> this is a bit troubling, okay? The Bible seems to encourage people to talk to themselves. Christians already have a bad reputation of being half crazy already, right? And here, in, right as in Holy Scripture, this guy is talking to himself. What are we to make about this? It's bizarre. About 100 years ago, a Welsh preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones gave a fantastic sermon on this this psalm. And here's what he said. I I couldn't say any better. I couldn't improve on this. So I just want to read this to you. The main trouble in this whole matter is that we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Let me say that again. The main trouble in this whole matter is that we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves, 
This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. And then having done that, end on this great note. Defy, deny, I'm sorry, defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil in the whole world, and say with the psalmist, I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Isn't that powerful? When we become hijacked, you want to be careful with your heart. People say, listen to your heart. There's definitely a time to listen to your heart. When it comes, when you're in, your, when you're in a good place with God, when you're at peace, Listen to your heart. The Holy Spirit can speak through your desires. But when you are emotionally triggered, when you're hijacked, what is your, what's your heart saying? Have you thought about that? It says here that your, ha- your heart is downcast. It's looking downward. It's not oriented the proper direction. My heart says things like this at those points. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Who does that person think they are? You can't talk to me like that. That's when I puff up. Other times I'll shrink back. And it may be like something like this. My heart will say, he's right. I'm worthless. I'm no good. No one likes me. I'm a failure. You wouldn't believe how many times in our work in Japan I've really struggled with these emotions. It's just so hard and there's so much rejection that I want to puff up, I want to shrink back. At those moments, we, our, our heart is more deceitful than anything else. We need to learn not to listen to our heart, but rather to turn and speak to it. Look at the psalmist. He's talking to his own soul. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed in me? This takes time. We've got to stop and begin talking to ourselves in this way. It's a rare person that can speak to themselves in this way. Um, it takes incredible practice and humility. It's so rare. Uh, in fact, this, this, the acronym RARE is the foundation for a fantastic book on this very topic, on how to handle yourself. So let's look at the next slide, and let's see if it pops up here. We'll skip the despondent. Yes, RARE Leadership. Great book. If you're interested, if you're a reader, if you like books on leadership— This is a biblical book on how to lead yourself well. R-A-R-E. And it's about keeping relationships bigger than problems. Keeping relationships bigger than problems. So you you say, this is not not, uh, useful. This is not helpful for me right now. This is not productive for me, excuse me. You put down the the laptop. You take a 10-minute break from the meeting. You have 10 minutes. It's time for you to do like the psalmist. It's time to talk to God and talk to one other person, yourself. This framework will help you develop some things to talk to your soul about in God's presence. First is R. The first R is remain relational. 
remain relational. I was thinking, what does it mean to be relational? I actually had to look it up in the dictionary. It's kind of a weird word to define. And I was so surprised by it. It said, relational is concerning the way that two or more people or things are connected. Isn't that interesting? Concerning the way two or more people or things are connected. One thing I notice about myself and others is when I'm triggered, when I'm emotionally hijacked, the other person ceases to be a person in my mind. They become an obstacle for me. They become an enemy to me. They become, I, they, I somehow lose the point that they are the image of God. And so one book described it as, I began relating to this person as I and it. This person is a problem, an object, and I'm going to relate to them as, as an object. And so what's the opposite of that is to remain relational. And to so say, no, this is not an I-it problem. This is an I-you issue. Even better, how about this? This is an I-thou problem. Sometimes the old English is so powerful. In Japanese, we have the honorific. We, have this, we use thou all the time in Japanese. And it's where you, ta- you take and you elevate the other person higher than yourself. To, and that's Philippians 2. To think of others' needs higher than your own. So to remain relational is to move an I-it situation to an I-thou. To realize this person is, is not a zero. They are made in the image of God. I want to remain relational with them. The Bible talks about this too. Uh, there's a passage in the Bible, I can't remember it exactly. I think it was like John 15, 12 or something like that. I don't, I can't, I don't have my Bible up here. Does anyone know that verse by chance? Maybe someone under 12 years old? I would love if, if there was someone that could stand up and quote that verse. John 15, 12. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I guess there's not many kids in this room. <laughs> this, was, this was the, ver- in the second service. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have all of them stand up. because I guess the kids are in the second service. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. This was a verse from Vacation Bible School this past week. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Remain relational. Over and over in the scriptures, that word, one another, one another, love one another, serve one another. It's to remain relational. That's, that's point one. So on, on remaining relational, how do you do when you're triggered? Do you, stomp over, do you stomp on people when you're trying to solve the problem? A problem comes up and you just kick into solving the problem mode. And in doing so, you lose your ability to be relational. And afterwards, you look back going, I just stomped all over everyone <laughs> as I saw this problem. Number two, act like yourself. That's kind of weird. Who else are you going to be acting like? Remain relational. Act like yourself. But our moms always said that, you know? Your mom would always say to, this, say to me, Mark, you're better than this. You hear what she's saying there? This is not the real you. The way you're behaving right now is not consistent with the person that God means for you to be. Or if someone's not doing well, we may say to them, you're not yourself today. We have that expression, don't we? What we mean by that is they are not, for whatever reason, 
they are not the wonderful, blessed person that we know God wants them to be. Do you have an image in your mind of what your most authentic self in Christ would be like? People have those little bracelets, what would Jesus do? I think that's great. Another one would be, what would, what would Mark, the most authentic Christ-like Mark Rude do? <laughs> I can't be Jesus. But through the Holy, Spirit power, Holy Spirit's empowerment, I want to strive to be the most authentic person that God's created me to be. So as I'm triggered, I'll sit down and ask his first question. What does it mean to remain relational like this? Okay, that's helpful. How do I act like my, my true self, my most authentic self? And then my imagination kicks in. Oh, yeah, my most authentic self is not going to fire off a nasty email to this person, right? How would they respond? Well, probably it's going to be in a very Christ-like manner. Well, I don't want to do that. I have rights. I'm upset. So we need to go to the next, the next question as you're talking to yourself, and that is to return to joy. John 15 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why return to joy? Because often when we get hijacked and triggered, what happens is all of that, all of the issues in our flesh just disconnects us from the vine. And we're not able to respond in the way that God wants us to. So we must return to joy. We must return and reconnect inside to the life-giving love of God. In verse 7, can we, is it possible to flip back to our, our um, scripture text? Verse 7. I just want to touch base on one more verse. This is another mysterious verse. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is a very ambiguous, mysterious verse here. What's happening? I think it's about returning to joy. Because inside, we have a deep, deep need. That's one deep. Deep calls to deep. We have a deep need. It calls to the deep, the depth of God's fullness. Man's needs are great, but God's riches are even greater. The longings of your heart, that that void that you find yourself in when you're emotionally triggered, and that need as you come to God and go, I'm so needy right now and empty. God says, I have depth for you. I am the vine. You are the branches. Reconnect to me and find your joy. There may be no joy in the situation in that email, but we need to remember many other things. We are justified based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I, I, one thing I'd say to myself is, I'm not in hell right now. This is great. Because of my sin, I deserve to be in hell, and I'm not. And I can return to joy. It's like, that is amazing that God loved me, died for me on the cross, and I am not suffering in hell for my sins right now. I'm going to be in heaven forever. And then inside, this joy comes, starts coming up again. We need to learn to deepen those pathways. This is part of true discipleship. Have you learned how to calm and soothe yourself when you are hurt and when you are upset? This is how we return to joy. 
Lastly is, oh, that was a quick transition. That was impressive. I thought he'd have to go through all of them, but that was way exceeded my expectation. Remain relational. Act like yourself. Return to joy. I'll just take a few minutes to meditate on each one of these. And then the next one is endure hardship well. It's time to re-engage. It's time to write that email. But now I'm ready to do that. If I started with this, that's called stoicism. That's saying deaden your heart and just do your duty. The scriptures doesn't teach that. It wants us to love. It wants us to have a good identity in Christ. It wants us to return to the joy of our salvation. And there's also this. It's going to be hard. No one likes to suffer. But it says in the Old Testament, the prophecy about Jesus, he made his face like a flint. He set his face like a flint. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, let let him take up his cross and follow me. This is part of the discipleship as well. Having returned to joy, we have joy inside. I must still face this difficult situation. But joy is now driving my obedience. I'd like to take a minute before we close here, and I'd like to just ask you, what's one relationship or what's one situation where you feel hijacked? It could be a child that hijacks you. It could be a parent that hijacks you. It could be a sibling. It could be a coworker. It could be your boss. It could be someone that you lead. It could be a neighbor that you're having a difficult relationship with. It could be a role in your work that you, just, you notice, I just get triggered. I get, emotion, I get emotionally hijacked every time. I want to challenge you maybe to take a piece of paper and write down on the top Psalm 42, and then write down these, these, these four words, these four letters. Remain relational. Act like yourself. Return to joy. And endure hardship. And this next week, this next month, as you get in that situation, it's going to happen again. Just pause. Take 10 minutes. Read through the psalm again. And begin speaking to yourself these truths of Scripture. Let's take a minute and just consider that, and then we'll close in prayer. Who is the person that you would like to apply this to this next week? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is such hard work. Um, Your word says that this is harder than becoming a mighty person. It's harder than taking over a city. It's harder to rule ourselves, our own spirits. It's hard to control our anger. Lord, we we puff up. We shrink back. We feel uh, our emotions get the best of us. But we want to acknowledge that we are made in your image. We are not merely passively responding to others' um, actions upon us. Lord, I pray for that space between being hurt and responding. Lord, teach us to slow down. Teach us to 
really speak to you and speak to our own souls in that place. Lord, we want to remain engaged with people in an honoring way for them. We want to act like the the people that you've created us to be. We want to become fully developed in Christ. But to do that, we need to return to joy. Help us to remember the joy of our salvation. Help us to remember our justification, our adoption, that we will spend eternity with you. And then, Lord, help us to return and to engage and to endure hardship well for the sake of your kingdom. Give us courage. Remind us of this message in this coming week and mo- weeks and months. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.